you know, we want to welcome everybody here. Everything all at once? Everything all at once. It's honestly a sensation. Aliens listen to it. I mean, we are getting ambitious more and more, and uh, I think that can really be a double-edged sword a lot of times because... Yes, I want to be able to strive for more or strive for greatness or strive for better, but also at sometimes I need to remember to stay comfortable and be happy with what I have. You know, it's like a little bit of a balance between gratitude and uh, seeking the next best thing. Mm-hmm. And it's a constant dance, right? Absolutely. It, it, it is a dance. I would say so, yeah. And kind of moving back and forth in between you know, that happiness and that gratitude, because I feel like that ambitiousness or wanting that more, it goes back to the name of our show, Everything at Once. We've been talking, I feel like this is how we've introduced it every time. It's uh, wanting everything at once and having that ambition and what you're reaching for and wanting it right now and understanding where you're at and how you can get there without hurting yourself in the process. Exactly. Everything at once. It's a little bit of a combination of just everything that's going on in the universe, just putting us where we are right now, and that's how it's supposed to be. And that's the only place where we can be. Exactly. Finding that acceptance. Where we are right now. In the present. Oh, yeah. Being okay with it, right? Exactly. But still being able to reach for more. Did you practice a lot of Buddhism when you were in India, or are you familiar with, with Buddhism? Actually, Buddhism was my first step into this journey. Years ago, someone gave me the book, The Art of Happiness. Mm. Okay. So that's great you asked that question. I feel like this is a very Buddhist thing to be talking about, the, the need and the desire, yeah. and how that kind of tells us that we need to absolve from those things or stay away from those things and find the contentment in the middle road and the happiness in what we have. Yes, definitely. In this, The Art of Happiness, I read that, and I'm like, oh, my God, there's a way out of this mess. Mm. Right? That book, I just wanted to rewrite it. I wanted to write a summarized version and give it to everyone that I love <laughs> because it just had so much in there, it just touched me so deeply. Very ambitious of you, Pam. Yeah, right? Well, welcome here. <laughs> I'm you. super glad that you're here. Uh, Pam has come from a referral from our friend Javed for anybody else who has been listening. Uh, we've mentioned him a couple times with Tanya and some other people that we've had on the show. and. Jay has sent Pam in his stead since he will not come on to the show yet. I gotta stay on him. But welcome here. We're so happy to have you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be here and share. Yeah, we're we're super interested to hear more about you. We've never really met you very much other than the half hour, 15 minutes we spent upstairs today. So tell us how this all, um, this whole journey of life kind of started for you and brought you to where you're at today. Like, were you, where, did you go to college or to yes. get started on your career path? I did. Where did you go to school at? I went to, well, I started at Indiana University. Of Pennsylvania? No, in Bloomington. Okay, like actual Indiana. Actual Indiana. Because <laughs> we have like an Indiana PA, right. like IUP. Fake IUP. Indiana. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you went to, to real Indiana University. I did. And then I um, transferred back to Ohio State. Because I had some savings at the time. Do you see what we have on the wall over here? Oh, Penn State. Oops. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Keep that Ohio well, State. I am over. in Pennsylvania. <laughs> you are in Pennsylvania today. No, but uh, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. We 
it's just the school rivalry. You the, love Ohio. The inner, right? the inner, no, the inner <laughs> pride in me is like, ew. Yeah, we both Ohio went to Penn State. State. Yeah. yeah, we both went to Penn State. So, uh, but so anyway, sorry. Anyway, sorry. I, um, <laughs> I I graduated from Ohio State, my undergraduate, and studied international business and marketing. Mm-hmm. And I remember the only reason I studied international business was because I just wanted to go overseas. Mm-hmm. So. Even in my high school yearbook, what are you going to do? And I wrote something like international business. I just knew the international always, always spoke to my spirit. Okay, so that's a very lofty ambition early on. It is. International business. It even sounds fancy. It, It brings up like mental imagery of like big buildings, like sitting up top and like drinking a martini or something like that. And Big business deals and all that stuff. Jumping on a jumbo jet and moving to the next city or next country. Right. So yeah. you had all those aspirations early on. And uh, once you graduated, how did those come into fruition for you? So once I graduated, I, I actually was I did a study abroad. I had graduated, but I still had this study abroad that I had won this uh, tuition to go for. So I was in Germany after I graduated. Neat. Cool. And, um, excuse me, and it was, uh, I just wanted to be overseas. So it was time to come back, and I know my my dad said, all right, take off your backpack, and now it's time to get a job. So this is where, you know, there's this um, me, the essence of me loved being overseas and experiencing and traveling and making friends over there and seeing all the different places, and then there's the but you gotta get a job. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's exactly what I did. I took off the backpack, came back, and got a job. But it was a consulting job at a company that offered travel. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So I spent many years at Accenture doing mm-hmm. uh, you know, management consulting, almost 20 years in corporate. Ooh, wow. Yeah. That's a long time. And most of the years were on an airplane. Drinking martinis. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the mental imagery. Just like the imagery, which I probably somehow manifested on some right. level, right? And uh, did you find like a lot of fulfillment? Like that was your dream, right? Were you like, ah, I'm living the dream, I'm living the dream? It was. I was living the dream until I wasn't living it anymore. Mm. <laughs> and how did that happen? How did how did the perspective shift for you? The body the spirit, the soul, everything couldn't do it anymore. Okay. It was very stressful. It was my life. I had been married for a little bit. Relationships, everything went out the door because I was just working all the time. Mm. Working all the time, running away from myself, hiding in the work, keeping busy. And there was even one moment where I had come home from work early one day, which was like 6 p.m., you know, that's early. And I didn't know what to do. And I was so, like, nervous. So I, you know, just typical went in the backyard, started smoking the cigarettes, drinking the wine as a way to avoid myself. I feel like a lot of people really use work as a... Identity. Identity. Yeah, I was going to say coping skill, but you're right, Dave. It is, like, very much somebody's identity. You know, I, I work as a construction man or I work as a business consultant or whatever, and that is who I am. And it, it seems to take over um, 
the aspects that I think human beings were really meant to cherish and enjoy more, more so than like, uh, you know, accomplishing big million dollar deals and making those kinds of changes. Yeah. It always reminds me of the, uh, the famous uh, John Lennon quote where he was like, when I was a kid, they had an assignment and it was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, happy. And the teacher said, you don't understand the assignment. And he said, you don't understand life. <laughs> You know, and the, the, it just makes me think. It's one of my favorite quotes ever because you have so many, what are you? You know, oh, I'm a fireman, I'm a policeman, I'm a international, you know, consultant or whatever. Right. And how do you think this, like, so it seemed like a lot of anxiety was really starting to manifest with you and your identity at this time. Oh, definitely. My nervous system was a mess. Mm. You know, from the outside, it looked like I had it all, and I had this great career at this great firm um, doing corporate responsibilities. So it looked like, well, yeah, I'm gonna, you know, save the world by doing corporate responsibility. And um, what do you mean by corporate responsibility? Well, I, I worked with companies who were measuring their greenhouse gas emissions. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they were reporting, disclosing, like, what they were doing for sustainability, what they were doing for the environment, for the social, for governance. And we, they submitted a report each year. And we would score them and publish this report. Okay. So yeah. it was. It was a, a Something that you could kind of put your heart into and say, Definitely. like, I'm making a change. Definitely. And um, I always wanted to, I had this vision that I wanted to come to Wall Street to kind of speak to all these big companies on what it means to be a responsible company. Mm -hmm. And I did that with this project. Cool. Oh, wow. And I even was on Wall Street at the New York Stock Exchange presenting to them about the scoring and the results. And mm -hmm. wow. It's like, wow. That must have been a pretty surreal moment. It was. It was surreal. And we really do create our lives. Mm -hmm. And it was absolutely amazing. But there is a cost. Mm -hmm. And the cost was that I was completely burned out. I was stressed. My digestion stopped working. I, you know, like I said, I was drinking all the time and just living this crazy life to cope with it all. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I couldn't continue down that path. So, so how do you, how did you perpetuate a, a change in that situation? Yet all those years built up of, you know, doing the same thing and working towards this goal you had. How do you pivot? Like it's we were talking upstairs about, you know, how our past is so, you know, uh, meddlesome when it comes to the future. How in that moment when you had all that anxiety and nerves, were you able to pivot and go in a different direction? This is where, so I believe in the, this, the higher self mm -hmm. and intuition. And this is where this higher self steps in and starts to, maybe somehow we speak to it and we connect. And it, I felt like I can't continue down this path so one thing that I was blessed with during these years, because I traveled all the time, I had tons of frequent flyer miles, and I took really cool vacations. And the, the, the first one that was really profound, I went to Peru. Okay. And it was a one-week yoga retreat with some beautiful group of ladies. I didn't even know. I just kind of, like, I believe in kind of serendipity and I was at a... Yeah, exactly. 
I was at a, the yoga studio in DC and I looked on the wall before going into class and there was this ad to go to this place of Peru. So I'm like, oh, I want to go there. So that journey brought up, I cried the whole week because it was like just this release of Cool. And what kind of, what kind of, what was going on in Peru? Were you in like, were you at Machu Picchu Mm -hmm. for the whole retreat? No, it was in the Sacred Valley, which um, we stayed, it was a couple hours from Machu Picchu. Were you in like a hotel or were you in like a village? No, it was a a yoga retreat center. Okay. So it was a pretty nice place. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was really nice. Cool. And um, I remember when we started drumming. So they brought the drums out, and I'm just sitting there like, oh, I love this. Mm-hmm. Wow. Where did this come from, you know? So that was my first step into um, me, mm-hmm. like the, the true self coming out. Rhythm is used in a lot of practices to really bring that into, or to like connect us, you know what I mean? As humans all together to the higher self or to the unity that we all are. So, but you didn't really have any knowledge of that at the time yet. It was just starting to peek its way through naturally on its own. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my first step into, hmm, there's another part of me. Hmm. I'm not just corporate America Pam. Um, so after that big project I spoke about where I, you know, got to kind of fulfill that dream of mine, I went to Bali. Cool. And that changed everything. There was a lot of healing going on. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget. I actually looked at the picture the other day because there were a lot of like oil, just Ayurvedic massage and detoxing. And my, this was all my chest, like this area was just red. I had some skin eruptions coming out from probably all the alcohol and the, mm-hmm. the detoxing that was going on in my body. Mm-hmm. And I went to this uh, healer, this ancient guy. Cool. <laughs> he had some stick and he was like poking the bottom of my feet and I'm just screaming in pain. and. Um, but after that, I met these people, and the one guy said, the old Pam is dead, and there's a new one about to be born. Hmm. And about five months later, I quit my job. I left New York City, and this started the path. Cool. And uh, what was it like to... Were you nervous or scared at all, or did you feel called to, to leave that position? I felt called. Yeah. And it was also a turn of events. So at work, they wanted me to start traveling again. Because I was in New York on an in-town project. Mm -hmm. And as with corporate, it wasn't good enough. And they wanted me to start traveling again. And um, at the time, I had my dog, my sweet dog, Ingrid. A a hunting dog, yeah. A German short-haired pointer that I was convinced could live in an apartment in New York. And (laughs) it wasn't working out. Yeah, They like to run. They like to run, yeah. Yeah, you know, we like try to do everything. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't want to travel again with work. I couldn't, and I just said it's enough. Cool. So it was a good time to, yeah. to kind of split away. It was. It was. And there was some money from severance and all that, so I wasn't, like, completely afraid of, you know, what I'm going to do. You know, when sometimes you're in a situation that 
like it's more painful to stay in it right than it is to jump off the ledge mm-hmm. and to see what happens oh yeah know all about that in, in recovery there's a saying that says when the pain becomes great enough the change will happen yes that's what happened to me okay so where did did you have a plan of what your next move was after leaving this job were you going to go back to bali or peru or I didn't have a a long-term plan. Um, I definitely knew. I was going to Europe that summer with some friends. And then I found myself on this Greek island for a long time in the water. And then I knew that the water... See, I had built this very masculine part of myself, Mm -hmm. like elbows up. I can do it. I'll take care of myself. This very strong, independent I'm person. I'm sure you, you had to do that in uh, your field that you were working in. Exactly. And I was, you know, I was single. I wasn't with anyone else. And there were bills to pay and a mortgage. You know, all of that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I had all of that. So, but there was also this, this pain and this sadness, right? Which we cover up with keeping ourselves busy. Right. And... So the water, being on this Greek island in the water, it was so healing and so nurturing. And so, you know, the quality of water is much more feminine. Sure. And I just, I met some amazing people and I had a little scooter and I was just zipping around this little island all summer. Sounds awesome. (laughs) That sounds like a great time. It was, it was. I really enjoyed um, being there. Until, you know, when are you coming home? When are you coming home? And then you always have to come back to the reality, Mm -hmm. Um, which I did. I came back, and then I decided I wasn't going to be in New York anymore, and I subbed my apartment. Somebody wanted it, so everything went real smoothly, and I was then owner of a storage unit. Nice. (laughs) It seems like when, at least in in my experience, I'm sure with Tony, too, like, when you're doing the next right thing for the next right reason, those things just fall into place like that. It's like a sign that you know that what you're doing is right. Yeah, and and I think the same thing goes when you're doing something wrong. There's a little bit of resistance. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You'll, you might not get the, the sign, like the lightning crashing down in front of you that a lot of people look for when they're considering a message from spirit or from higher power or whatever you'd like to call it. Um, but there usually are signs if you recognize them and are able to yeah. to see them. Yeah. Cool. So you got your storage locker, all of your worldly possessions. I'm I'm gonna guess are probably packed in there. Yeah, they they were packed. Everything was in there. And I actually have another <laughs> storage unit. <laughs> Years later, I still have my stuff in a storage unit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the friction, right? There's there's flow mm-hmm. and there's friction. And you were feeling the, f- the I was flow. feeling the flow. I, I felt like this is the right thing. Mm-hmm. This is definitely the right thing to leave New York, to stop the job, to kind of mm, retire from this lifestyle. Sure. And step into something else. And I didn't exactly know what the next step was, but I knew... It was not in New York City. It was not in New York City. So I everything was in the storage unit. This was about eight years ago. Okay. And I then moved back to Ohio, mm-hmm. to um, to Youngstown, where I'm from, Okay. because that's where family is. Sure. And there was actually no place else I really wanted to go. The thought of going to another city, getting another job, and another mortgage, 
just did not appeal to me. Mm -hmm. Like I knew that was not the answer. So I came back to Youngstown and then um, went to India. Okay. And what were you going to India for at that time? Just to, did you feel any sort of call or whatever? Were you seeking something in particular? Yeah, I was seeking something spiritual. Okay. So when I, the summer before that I was in Greece, like after I left New York, I was went to Greece. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was this church and I would walk up the white hill every day to the top of the church, do some yoga. And I'm like, I have to get out of here. I want something spiritual. I have to like go to India or I have to go Bali. I have to, like I had to go someplace else for something spiritual, mm-hmm. right? Failing to see what was right in front of me. Yeah, right. Yeah. Was where I needed to be. Mm-hmm. So I had this mantra going up this hill every day. You are where you need to be. Just be. You are where you need to be. Just be. And I would say that, and then I stayed because then the water, mm-hmm. you know, I was connecting with the water then. Um, but I still had this thing in my mind. I need something spiritual, so I had to go to India. Right. And what did you find there? Something spiritual. Of <laughs> course. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I, I, um, I signed up for this uh, yoga teacher training program in Rishikesh. So I spent six weeks on the, the, the Ganga, they call it, which is the Ganges. Mm-hmm. The Ganges River. Yes, the river. Yeah. Okay. Very Ga- sacred river. Exactly. So it's uh, the Ganga. That's kind of how I, I know it. And she is... Uh, yeah, she's alive, too, mm-hmm. in her own way. You know, every night they do these arti and these rituals to the river, and it keeps some essence of her alive. So I spent six weeks there, and, oh, yeah, all kinds of stuff start coming up, mm-hmm. up and out, up and out of of past, of, of this, uh, this perfectionism, mm-hmm. judgment. Of myself so hard I used to be so hard on myself so you didn't have very good uh, self-talk at that time no zero zero <laughs> and I remember introducing myself in the yoga class and I'm like I'm here to figure out what's next yeah you know, I still had that corporate mm-hmm. mentality right for many more years I pretty much transferred my like corporate you know, type AA personality to my spiritual path. Mm-hmm. So chasing um, the next one. Oh yeah, the <laughs> next program, the next mystical experience. Cool. And uh, that seems that, that did that work out for you? It did. Okay. Because I had to go through all of that, and mm. like we have to go through it. We have to finish it before we can go on to the next choice mm-hmm. and the next path. Okay. So you're starting to discover spirit a little bit more and starting to heed the messages of spirit a little bit more at this time. I am. And you're in a very sacred place. Yes, I am. I'd say I'd come to this place within myself Mm -hmm. and within my heart. And, but there's a journey to get to this place. Okay. And like after Rishikesh, um, the last class that my, my yoga teacher training, the teacher put up a video from Sadhguru. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, who is this guy? You know, and I like wrote the name down. And uh, when I came back to Youngstown from Rishikesh, it's like someone turned the faucet on. Mm-hmm. It was just pouring out and I wanted more. 
And that's when I met Sadhguru and started with Isha Yoga. How did you meet Sadhguru? I met him at his ashram in Tennessee. Okay. Yeah, he has a place in Tennessee, and the program was BSP. So he was doing a program for, it was a four-day program. So mm -hmm. I went with some friends to do this program. Cool. And I'm like, what's this guru stuff? And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> my friends were super excited. I like, feel like early on in the spiritual path, you feel like you know everything. Yes. Like, yeah. who's this guru to me? I know all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Like, at least that's my experience on my spiritual path. Like, for a lot of times, I'm very, very skeptical of my uh, teachers, elders, <laughs> men, who's like soon-to-be teachers, soon-to-be elders, um, mentors in general, in general. I'm always like, who is this guy? Like, what does he know? Why is he better than me? What makes him a guru? And why am I not a guru? Blah, 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 blah. I remember maybe like five years ago I was with a friend in Woodstock, New York and uh, they had like a, a Buddhist temple up in the mountains and he's like, oh, I want to check it out I want to check it out, you know, really into Buddhism I kind of had like that same mentality you had because we went up there and uh, there's just it was just like a convergence of like, uh, what, what are they it's like Dalai Lamas the Lamas, Lamas yeah, so they were like there was like 30 of them there from all over the world. Wow. And uh, I just walked around. You know, I didn't talk to anybody because I was <laughs> just that mindset, you know. I'm like, what are these, you know. Why are they better than why I am? Why are they better than why, I am? Why am I not a llama? Why I, well, I didn't think, why am I not a llama? But I was like, what are they going to teach me? Right. You know, why and it's so everything? like, which is just the most ignorant thing. But like, it's just crazy, you know, how, how we can get in our own way sometimes. And I, I think that's Western. Yeah. I feel that's how we're raised. We're more, we're taught that we know the answers. Like we have to know the right answers mm -hmm. at a very young age because this is what's going on in the education in the school and just to know the right answers and to be an individual and to do it ourselves. Right, that rugged individualism. Yeah, and also how we, well, if we step into, like, Christianity, I went to Catholic school, you know, this born mm -hmm. raised Me Catholic. Too. Me and, too. And all of our teachers, okay, there was a priest and a nun, but most of the other teachers were kind of statues, mm -hmm. you know? They were dead. Mm -hmm. So when we're sitting with these lamas and these gurus, like a, a live person... I'm not bowing down to anybody who's alive. Right. Right? No Who way. Are they? Who right. are they? And I think it's also really funny when uh, I think that I know everything, it, that, like, I'm very present in that moment. I'm not thinking about any of the times that I ever made a mistake. You know what I mean? Like, when I started to explore my own spirituality, and, and I'm like thinking I know everything and questioning all these people who have been doing this for a lot longer and have a lot more experience than I have, I'm not thinking like, I'm thinking I know everything and not realizing like, hey, I just got here. Hey, I just spent the past like 10 years of my life, maybe longer, extremely unhappy yeah. and doing things that are awful for myself. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so then when you sit with people like Satguru or mm -hmm. these lamas, I like to didn't have any questions. Right. <laughs> because I'm so like I'm I'm ignoring that past, you know, I'm stuffing it. I'm not 
allowing it to be part of my my person right now, even though it's affecting my person in every way, you know? I think there... Well, I was just going to say, I think, like, at least in my experience, like, there's a lot of, like, when you go into a new situation, it, it's the automatic, at, at least for me, reaction to to utilize my skepticism, you right. know? So I'm trying to, to poke holes in things instead yeah. of just listen unless I'm in the practice of already doing it. Which is important and brings up... Up, uh, like a talk, like a aspect of balance, like we were talking about in the beginning with ambition. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's important to be skeptical. I should be a little bit skeptical of yeah. of all things, but at the same time, I need to be open to other people's experiences. Exactly, and don't you know? Don't listen. Don't believe everything I say. Mm -hmm. Don't discount everything I say. Mm -hmm. Experience it for yourself. Right. That's what Sadhguru. A lot of these spiritual teachers say. Because we have to know for ourselves what it is. Mm -hmm. But coming in with being skeptic, skeptical, um, skepticism, resistance, right. right? Isn't that what resistance is? Sure. It's yes. a natural defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To keep us from being disappointed or, um, you know, anything that we're not expecting. You know, we have these preset ideas or beliefs or of what is going to happen or what should happen. And when we don't it's like you said earlier about kind of manifesting our own thing if I come into a situation with somebody and I'm not expecting to learn anything or be touched by anything they say more than likely I'm not going to learn anything and I'm not going to be touched by anything they say because I've already I've already figured out who you are and what you're doing instead of allowing you to be who you are mm -hmm. then you put up a wall you just close yeah. it right there and I think one of the most powerful things in the world is uh, in like a negative way is the fear of the unknown you know so like, like it's like why people are always so so hung up on like death you know and that's like the big one you know mm -hmm. the big unknown but um you know, even in my own experience, you know, the comfortability of holding on to something that might be harmful, but you know what it is, is sometimes uh, the, the deterrent for, for jumping into something where you don't know where things are going to go. And isn't that what we truly desire? Isn't it often the things we fear the most is what we somehow desire the most? Oh, it's very interesting you bring that up because I think that that can be true in a lot of ways. You know, um, going back to like childhood traumas and stuff like that, a lot of times, um, you know, we're afraid to be in control because of experiences we've had with older people or our parents or older siblings where we were never in control. And then we learn to fear that control when in reality we want to be able to take charge of something and be in control and be that leader or that person that's you know pulling the strings or being the the international yeah. consultant or whatever it is that's going on yeah or the person that wants to just hit the drum right mm -hmm. right and to to sing and to dance mm -hmm. when we're told we should not dance or sing ever well maybe not ever but like only certain times, you know, not when 
the the teachers around or we're going to grandma's house or we're going to wherever out in public the grocery store you're not allowed to sing and dance in the grocery right. store I yeah. feel like that's like a fooling around acting up type thing right. you know your parent at least you know when I was younger like the parents mm-hmm. yelling at you like stop messing around you know just having fun yeah you know when really we, we should be dancing and enjoying all the things and taking those small pieces of of sunshine when we can get them because they're not there all the time exactly there's this uh, this woman in the town over from where I live in Youngstown, and she kind of dances like down and up the sidewalk. Good for her. Mm-hmm. That's what I say. But of course, there's backlash, and she's going to cause a car accident. Oh and my it's God. like, well, don't look at her, you know? Like, just keep driving, and she's distracting, and mm-hmm. this and that. Good for her. Right. And th- that causing a car accident, it goes into like another American ideal, I think. Maybe not, I won't call it an ideal, but an American idea of just like looking for somebody else to blame. Oh. You know what I mean? Instead of accepting my own personal responsibility, like, hey, maybe I should be paying attention to the road instead of the lady that's dancing on the street. And then I wouldn't crash my car and I wouldn't have to blame this yeah. lady for me not doing my job. Yeah, let's talk about responsibility. <laughs> that's actually the first uh, what Sadhguru teaches is responsibility. In the inner engineering class is... Inner engineering. I'm 100% responsible. All the time? All the time. I don't think so. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with you here. Have you ever read the book, uh, The Four Agreements? Yes. You know how it says don't take anything personally? Mm-hmm. I get so... Ang- maybe not angry, but I, I feel it viscerally in my body that I should take certain things personally. Like, if I have a, a lover and she's hurt me, I should feel that personally because that is part of a human experience is to feel that other person's, like, feel those emotions. Like, yeah, whatever they did may be partially up to them, but I got to accept my part in this. And if I take the, if I don't take this personally and just wash myself away from it and don't feel my feelings or my emotions or whatever about this situation that's going on, am I really experiencing a human experience? It's such a high and lofty ideal to say, don't take anything personally. When we are personal people and we have personal relationships with lots of people. I, I agree, but I also kind of like, in in theory, when I'm like the most on top of my game, I disagree too because we're meant to feel our feelings but you know a saying that you know me and you have heard a lot over our years is to learn how to respond and not to react and uh you know so you feel your feelings but you allow yourself to process them to the point where you're still able to take responsibility for the way that you process them and put your energy back out into the world sure you know so like i i don't think that you know, being fully responsible means that you can just let people walk all over you, but it's how you take the things that happen to you, let them happen, and then still be your own person instead of being like, oh, why are you in a bad mood today? Oh, because so-and-so did this, you know, instead of like, because I'm feeling upset because I got my feelings hurt, you know, that's the take in the responsibility. Mm-hmm. You don't want someone to own you like that, you know? Yeah. yeah. But but I, at the same way, time, going back to the same thing, like, certain things should hurt us personally. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe not should. 
they do. Like, but they do. And that's a good thing because right. we're human beings and we have emotions. And with responsibility, it's the ability to respond. So let's say something happened. Something happened to us. Something happens to all of us 10 years ago. And there's pain. Mm-hmm. And it hurts. And we experience the pain. We experience the grief. We experience it with the other person. Hopefully, we were at a place where we could talk about it. We could heal it. That's pain. And that's our body saying, oh, this hurts. But then there's suffering. Because mm-hmm. if we still have that pain 10 years later, then we're suffering. That's suffering. And that's not being responsible. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I agree, too. And uh, I've heard that said before, similar things said to that before about, you know, we, we don't have a choice in feeling pain, but we have a choice in whether or not we suffer or how long we suffer. Exactly. But, you know, some things are going to hurt for longer than others. And how do we make that determination about whether or not this is suffering or if this is really something that has devastated me over time? You know. What about perception? Perception of the... Of the pain? Of the pain, of the incident that happened. You know, that's important too. I think it's about routine. Like, I feel like if you have the discipline to continue doing the things that positively affect your life when you're going through pain, that's a good gauge of... You know, just how long it should naturally last. Because if you allow yourself to start doing negative things, and that's compounded with something that's hurting you, then it's gonna last for longer. Right. I I don't know. That's how I perpetuate that cycle. Now. I like that. That's how I gauge in my head. Like, if I'm sleeping longer, you know, if I'm not getting out of bed, I'm not hanging out with friends, I'm not going to the gym, I'm not eating healthy. Mm -hmm. You know, cope. You know, coping, eating stuff like that. Then it's like, okay. I'm making this worse for myself than it needs to be. Right. It's a it's a negative feedback loop at that point. Which it's like this self sabotage. Mm-hmm. Where like an animal, I if if you've ever seen maybe a, a dog gets a rabbit in in its mouth and then the the dog drops the rabbit and what does the rabbit do? It immediately shakes. Mm-hmm. So they the animal will immediately shake to get rid of the trauma and the pain. Mm-hmm. And I've been to some programs um, with yoga, and there's you know there's movement as you're talking about. Let's say you're talking about the story and the pain and something that we experienced, sure. and there's a lot, and then there's expressing it, mm-hmm. and there's movement in the body, a lot of movement in the body, movement in the voice. Um, so if we're angry, something happens, grab a pillow and just. Yeah. You know, just scream. put your head in the pillow and scream. We got to, like, move this stuff out. Right. That's a, a big thing in, like, Qigong, too. Like, a lot of shake out the, the, the bad energy or the negative energy so you can build up your chi, that positive energy. And, oh, man, there was somewhere else I was going with that, but I don't remember anymore. But I agree, you know? Which is what, what you were saying, like, if something happens and we just stay in bed and we eat bad food, it's so easy to perpetuate Mm-hmm. That that heavy feeling, and if we can develop discipline in the tools, and we know how to shift the energy of heaviness to something lighter. Mm-hmm. And I think that maintaining that routine has like 
for me, literally been one of the only things that's like kept me going in a lot of situations mm -hmm. that have been really bad, you know, still showing up for work, still going to the gym, still doing the other things that uh, I need to do to be like a functioning adult in my life, mm -hmm. um, even when I didn't want to. And, it, uh, and for a long time, it feels like you're a machine, you know, you're a zombie in that state mm -hmm. and you're not really awake or alive. You're just... So I wonder what makes us move from self-sabotage to saying, okay, my body needs this. Mm -hmm. I need this. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to not eat that. I think the pain becomes great enough. I think there's moments... I was, I was just talking about this with somebody. Um, there's moments where, like the brain's response to like an intense amount of pain is to go in the opposite direction so you get these like moments of clarity or like these moments of uh being uh, rejuvenated sure and then you got to take advantage of it while it happens because that window closes you know and and if you just if you just allow the moments in your life or the times in your life where your body's producing that extra energy to give you the opportunity to go in a different direction, it doesn't last forever. You know, you have to take advantage of it while it's going on. Right. Seizing that moment. Exactly. Because it's always changing. It's always changing. Right. And if we take advantage of the moment, the more we take advantage of the moment, then the more we train ourselves to be more in those types of moments. Right, and to see those things when spirit's calling us to go to, yeah. you know, wherever it is, the gym, the, the movies, the out with friends, the, to the healthy dinner, to whatever is going on, you know, to be that perceptive and have that awareness. And when we fill ourselves up with more of the beneficial things in our life, then I feel some of the other stuff moves away. Right. Because when I was drinking a lot, and I, I didn't, every year I would write in my journal, I'm going to quit drinking, and you know, all the time, and I couldn't. It just was not moving away. It was like such a strong energy in my life. And as I started to do more yoga and, you know, going back and forth to India and going, visiting these very spiritual, energized places that mm -hmm. are healing centers. I feel that I would maybe carry more of that vibration with me and then the alcohol kind of over time moved away. Right. Yeah, I mean, whenever there is a void uh, or a vacuum, it is always filled in nature, um, like biologically or in physics or in like an empty space, you know, the air comes rushing in. So when we create a vacuum, like stopping drinking or stopping using drugs or alcohol, I think that... Um, we have somewhat of a say in what fills that void, you know? Do I want to fill it with more unhealthy habits or do I want to fill it with um, a positive routine or a social structure or natural supportive people or, uh, you know, whatever it is because something's got to fill that void. I like that. Mm -hmm. That's when uh, I think spirituality and, like, physics and science kind of get paired together. Yeah. You know, and I think that's really magical and interesting. Because we get to make a choice. We have that personal responsibility. Which gets back to our responsibility. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when we made other choices in the past, 
where we didn't feel well and good in our body, then at some point we start to make the choices that are better for us. Mm-hmm. But it's deeper than that because I feel that that has to do with like fully loving ourselves. It's a hard thing to do. I feel like for a long time I, I it took me a lot of work to learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. Some days it's still not Some there. Some days it's still not there. Yeah, yeah it's not. Right. And it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, going back to what we said earlier, you know, nothing is permanent. Those good feelings come in waves, and so do the bad feelings. They do. And eventually the tide will recede. Um, that's the one thing that I think I can't express enough to people when they're going through hard times. Like, this is not... This may feel like forever, um... But this is not going to be forever. And I know, I remember thinking, like, in my periods of depression, like, this is going to be forever. Like, Mm -hmm. this is the rest of my life. And for a long time, I thought that until someday, I don't know, spirit or whoever told me that this was not going to be permanent. You know what I mean? That this would eventually end and things would eventually change and that things were not going to be going on in perpetuity the way that they're going right now. I think the toughest part about that is that you have to, like, the, the, at least in my experience, the hard fact of life is you have to spend time in those healthy routines and those spiritual routines before you get that moment where you realize everything's going to be okay. You know, it's not like you just start doing yoga or, you know, going to church or, you know, whatever it is, like, one day and then the next day you're like, oh, my God, I, I got it. You know, like you have to take that leap of faith. And once you do it enough times or once you jump far enough, it's just one day it happens. But you can't explain it to somebody who's never done it before. It's the experience, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And learning to love yourself. You know, eventually, I feel like, like Dave said, you just realize, like, hey, actually, I'm not as awful as I thought I was. Or things are not as awful as I thought they were. And it's a journey to get there. Mm-hmm. And I, there are just tools that we use along the way that spirit gives to us, you know, like the yoga and meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that can be, when you first start yoga, it's, it's hell. Mm-hmm. It's, and so many people quit. Yeah, because who wants to? I used to leave early, you know. You're right. <laughs> At Shavasana, I would leave before Shavasana. That's the best I, part, too. Well, I was so, I like was too busy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> and then I started to stay, and I'm like, wow, this feels so good to even have this feeling, mm-hmm. which is what these yoga and meditation and programs, like when I was with Sadhguru in that first program, it was a completely different experience that mm-hmm. I got to experience with him because these gurus, they kind of open up a space for something mystical to come through. Sure. Mm-hmm. And you experience yourself in a different way. You experience other dimensions of reality, of existence, and you're like, oh, there's more. There's more to this, mm-hmm. which is like reading The Art of Happiness. And when we know that there's more than what we currently are, what we currently are experiencing, if we know there's more, then we have hope. Right. Yes. And we have that optimism to get to that, you know? The mm-hmm. hope, the optimism, all those things. We can we can remember, like, hey, things were good for a while. We can. I have the capability to get back to that point. Yeah. We always can get back to that point. We 
have that empowerment too because we've been practicing for a little while at that point hopefully you know we've been going to yoga we've been reading the books we've been practicing the uh the things that make us feel better and isn't that what this life is about in a way Mm -hmm. absolutely in a lot of different ways maybe not um completely but i think that's definitely a part of it for sure you know that self-improvement that desire that ambition bringing us all the way back full circle to to be better and to live better and to find that happiness um but also being content where we're at it's the the natural enhancements of life the things that you know when we when we dig to the to the root of everything that were always the enhancements that we wanted anyways not this the the things that society places on us and tells us that we need right and it's we first start because let's say at the root of all this is that we're born and we want to transcend we want to move we want to know more we want to learn more we want to grow we want to expand Mm -hmm. let's say that that's what we really feel intuitively Mm -hmm. yet the society says but you have to do it this way Mm-hmm. So then we go to school and we go to work mm-hmm. and we're, we want to, ex- it worked. Don't you want to get promoted and you want to do a good job? Sure, and you that want stuff to, feels great. That stuff feels great. But what we're really longing for maybe is this expansion of, of ourself mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. to know like who, the truth of like who we are. And this is when we start to wake up, when you say, who am I? What is this really about? What is this life about? And is there another way? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so many people have to go through a... a a hard experience to get to that point to see that you know maybe things aren't as uh the way they they told me in in high school or elementary school or as a child and that having a good job and money and all these things are really not the uh as fulfilling as i imagined them to be or was led to believe that they would be um you just got back from a, a pretty cool trip to you went to India and Peru? I did. I was in, uh, yeah, I had gone to India. Sadhguru had a program there in October. Mm-hmm. So I was there just for a week. That was a crazy trip. I've never gone mm-hmm. to India for a week. Um, yeah, back and forth, huh? Yeah, that was that was <laughs> a lot. <laughs> you were probably like almost in the air as much as you were down there. Yeah, that was crazy. But I wanted to go to the, so his program was on a certain day. And then I had four or five days before that. And there are these, um, in South India, there are these um, five element temples temples to the five elements so i've been so intrigued air earth water fire and uh space Space. akash Akash. you know the akashic records yeah akash is sanskrit for space for ether Hmm. um so i you know got my let's do it all in four days hat on (laughs) (laughs) i still got that hat and i put it on when i need it Mm -hmm. um and there are such amazing places to go to. I'm, I'm really intrigued with the five elements lately, with the elements, like how they move around us and how they are within us. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in the food. It's, it's everything. So I went to there. I went visited those places, and then I went to the program, and then I flew to Peru um, to go to Machu Picchu. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I was joining. I was go- actually on my way to Argentina to join a program with um, with Mateus de Stefano. He's a... Uh, young man out of Argentina doing really cool things in the world. What's he doing? Planetary work. 
planetary work. Ooh, that sounds yeah. interesting. I can't even understand it myself half the time. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, do you know Gaia? Gaia.com? Mm-hmm. So uh, he's on, uh, it's a, no, it's like a Netflix for spirituality. Oh, yeah. Gaia, yeah. Gaia TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, so he's on there with a lot of shows called, um, uh, remembrance, uh, initiation. He remembers a lot of his past lives, specifically cool. going back to Atlantis. Mm-hmm. So he's super connected. Exactly, all of that. And the Martians, and uh, I forget what the the landmass was called. That's okay. Well, that's a whole other show. We could t- spend a whole I know. hour talking about that stuff. Cool. But he's connected to a lot of that and gets a lot of direction through channeling mm-hmm. on what to do. So he's kind of traveled to all these different planetary places on the world, putting, um, anchoring the, the energy there. So his pro- path ended this year in 2022. So I was with him in Egypt, mm-hmm. um, inside the Great Pyramid. Oh, wow. And then cool. um, Argentina kind of finished off that work. That's Sweet. incredible. So when you were in, you went on a medicine journey too. I did. That sounds pretty exciting. So I ended, this all kind of ended um, with the plant medicine. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense. Gosh, everything makes, why does it make sense in hindsight? <laughs> <laughs> and we're so impatient along the way. Right. But really, um, these things will happen in their own time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with some of the people I met in Argentina, we went to Colombia where um, they're connected with the, the Inga tribe mm-hmm. um, in South Colombia, Putumayo, if I'm saying that correctly, is where a lot of the shamans are and mm-hmm. the, the ayahuasca and the plant medicine. And so, did you go to like one of the ones that I might see on the internet, like a resort style one, or were you? <laughs> no. You were in the in the sticks in the villages and stuff. That sounds way better to me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> way more real. Authentic. Unauthentic. That's what I wanted. I'm serious. We, man, we have to really watch our words because this is exactly what I, I created. I had always said if I'm going to do ayahuasca, it's going to be in the real situation with the real people and the real deal. Good. Well, that's what it was. <laughs> and I resisted it. I was, re- I was so resistant because this was in the jungle. Like I call it jungle jungle. Mm-hmm. Because it was actually, we, we walked like an hour, a good hour and 15 minutes with all of our stuff in the jungle. They had created this beautiful space with a, just a tent, mm-hmm. like a, a cover. No doors, nothing. And we're, you know, sleeping on the floor in the jungle. So you, the whole imagination of fear of, the primal fear of snakes. Oh, yeah, that'd be terrifying. Right. Spiders for me. I, oh, and yeah. ants with teeth. These things were huge. <laughs> That sounds awful. (laughs) (laughs) Especially after taking medicine. Well, I became less, well, I don't know what, I don't know what happened. I don't know if I was more afraid or, no, I was less afraid, I think, when I um, drank the medicine. Um, But we were there for four or five days. Mm -hmm. And a beautiful, beautiful family, medicine, medicine family. Cool. The the plant, everything came from where we were. Mm -hmm. So it was like, collected there, brewed there, we were there. Mm-hmm. And it was my first time. Okay. So I, I just kind of like go straight. I just jump in, it seems. Sure, yeah, that's the medicine, the the strongest of all the plant medicines that I really have heard of, known, whatever. Oh, really? I think so. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what they were saying, that this was like really strong. Yeah. 
I only so the first time I it was just a little bit like mm -hmm. just a little and it was so nice and she was just so loving and like oh this is great and I was mm -hmm. just like laying there and feeling so much love and you know the trees were beautiful and, mm -hmm. um, and then the next day so it was like a, a four-day medicine experiment yes and yes. you took medicine every day yes okay so first day was really nice and then the second day <laughs> <laughs> and grandmother came to, to teach you a lesson so much and i remember because i had like i wear sometimes a lot of malas and this and that protection and i'm like all right just took it all off oh, yeah. <laughs> i said here i am you know and you know we we have you have an intention so it's very important before you drink the medicine to have an intention mm -hmm. and i asked her that if you know whatever if there's any healing that's needed to please you know let's just get this over with right um and i remember also in egypt at the isis temple it was there was this beautiful hieroglyphic on the wall and i just start crying it's like, I just want to live this authentic life of truly who I am. Mm -hmm. And I'm so, like, help with all this stuff that I've surrounded myself with. Let's just, like, finish it. So that's exactly what the ayahuasca did and started to do. Mm -hmm. um, I was very, very resistant. Even after drinking, I was controlling mm -hmm. the situation. Have you ever taken psychedelics before? Um, LSD just once mm -hmm. and some mushrooms many years ago so okay. not so much okay <laughs> so, so you weren't well versed in in the ways of uh psychedelics i had just a little bit of experience right. but it was real like short so, sure. you know the other experiences mm -hmm. um but i was re i didn't want to i didn't want to purge i like was i did oh. not want to vomit mm -hmm. because you know i don't like that right right Right? I don't yeah. like it either. I haven't puked in like eight years, and that's oh. not a lie. So oh, it was like I, 30 like, years for me. <laughs> I, I love it. Maybe not love, but like I know that if I throw up, I'm going to feel so much better afterwards. So like the short-term discomfort of like vomiting when I'm sick or anything like that, I know I'm going to feel better afterwards, so I just get it out of get the way. Get it over with. Yeah. You're not, not having it. I know people are like that, too. They, they refuse to do it. I'm just like, oh, here we go. So <laughs> I asked her to teach me about judgment mm -hmm. and perfection. And that's exactly what happened. Because I felt those were some of the things holding me back. Mm -hmm. Judging, mostly judging of myself and the perfectionism of myself and you know, what am I going to do in the world and how am I going to do it? And it has to be perfect so that it stifles us, mm -hmm. right? It's just the way we hide. Sure. And when we judge ourselves and we're clearly judging everything else around us as good and bad, right and wrong. So then you don't get anything done because, mm -hmm. um, because you're, you're busy judging. Exactly. So this is what I experienced. And I, so I laid down and I was completely like somewhere else journeying mm -hmm. somewhere else kind of like jello. I kept coming back in the body and I, where am I? What's going on? Why is everyone else walking around? Comparing myself, you know, mm -hmm. all these tendencies we do in the life is what I was doing on the medicine. And I felt there was like this surgery going on of sorts and like lots of lights, lots of 
the rainbow, those colored lights mm -hmm. going in and out of consciousness and like the heart, so much heat here in the heart chakra, like green, like taking stuff out, putting it in. And then I um, kind of come around and sat up and I'm like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw up. Well, I don't want to. And I crawled to the ledge and the earth at this point is talking to me. Like, come here, come to the earth. But there's snakes down there. Yeah, right. I'm safe. Spiders. Biting ants. <laughs> That's where I saw them. Oh I'm oh, no. safe. I'm safe in the Maloka. Mm -hmm. I'm not going down there. But I knew I had to surrender. Right. I knew this was my chance to fully surrender. And I then I crawled like one foot down. And then it was two knees. And I'm like sitting on the ground. I'm having a conversation, so I'm aware. Mm -hmm. I'm having a conversation. She's like, come, 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 come. And I like put my head down in child's pose, you know, that yoga pose. Mm -hmm. And then I laid fully down. And I knew that I'd be okay. I knew that whatever animals were there, they were gonna like go away. And mm -hmm. I fully just lied down on the earth. And the music that the shamans were playing, there's this whole music thing going on yeah. in the rattle. Out it comes. Out it comes. And miss, you know, perfect. You have to do it the right way. I'm like sitting in my vomit. Oh, I'm like no, a mess. Oh, no. I'm a mess. Oh. Purging. Mm -hmm. A mess. And I can lay back down and um, just just journeying. I'm just leaving, coming back, leaving, coming back, and. The shaman, you know, I remember the air. That's where the elements come in. Like, they rebuilt me. Mm -hmm. It was really amazing. And when I finally come around and wanted to live, because I thought I was dying. Right. I was so happy to be back in my body. Like, you cannot even imagine. And I just remember hitting the heart chakra in the back. Like, I want to live. Like, mm -hmm. come on. I got a lot to do. <laughs> Right. Like this body is a beautiful thing, and then it was the actual fire element that that really brought me back. Mm -hmm. Like this body is amazing. There's so much wisdom in it, and here I'm so lucky to be in this body, because I have to say, like this intense spiritual path, these practices I've done took me too much out of my body to disconnect from my reality. Mm -hmm. A lot of people I feel are that are on this path do a lot of spiritual bypassing. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, hey, Gideon. Hi. No, there's our manager. Our <laughs> manager. But yeah, I feel like a lot of people will spiritually bypass because now we have these tools like don't take things personally. And I just use that and I ignore any sort of problem in my life or in my personal life or with my relations or friends, mm -hmm. family, because now I'm, I'm spiritual and I don't take things personally. Or you can be in like a horrible situation. Mm -hmm. Like when I was thinking I was going to move to India and like living in these very austere conditions. Oh, this is great for my spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. I'm detaching from everything. Right. Like, no, you know, I, I'm not Indian. I was born in America. I'm, an, I'm a Western woman. <laughs> yeah. I can't be living in caves. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. So all of this has to do with like and beating ourselves up mm -hmm. putting ourselves into situations where we are out of alignment with really um, the truth of who we are so that's what the medicine taught me and oh, 
I was so happy when I came back around in my body mm -hmm. and I had like an apple to eat. Yum. It changed everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it changed everything, Kitty. Oh, man. Cool. Would you recommend the experience to other people? It was the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah. Because it lasted for hours. Sure, it's a long time. It's a long time, and over a couple days. It's mm -hmm. a long time. So, someone, ha they have to be ready for it. Mm -hmm. Because I could see how maybe somebody could, like, seriously lose their shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Being on the medicine. Mm -hmm. um, if the medicine calls and the situation is right, then I think... It's, it's okay, because um, it took me years before I did it, even though I wanted to, but mm -hmm. I was never fully invited. Yeah. Or it would be canceled, or it wouldn't work out. Sure. So, um, it's not for everyone. Right. And it's not, it shouldn't be used as a crutch, where you... Yeah, I, I think of medicine kind of as I, like there's a door in myself, you know what I mean? Like I have a, an internal door that I can open very carefully. It's locked, okay? So I have to practice and be spiritual and be very careful when I'm trying to open the door and I can open it all the way. Or um, with the medicine, I, it, the medicine's like a battering ram t for me to just blast through that door, you know what I mean? And go in there and some yes. people aren't ready to open that door yet. No, not at all. I mean, I think I've been on this kind of path for well, the whole self. I did my first yoga class in 2020, so mm -hmm. so this kind of self development path for a, a long time, mm -hmm. and intensely on it in the last um, five, six, seven years. Sure. And at the end of it, now I had my first medicine experience. So, mm -hmm. and it was intense. Mm -hmm. um, it could be very scary. So. Have you tried any other indigenous practices? Have you ever been to a sweat lodge or? Yeah, I did. Okay, yes. cool. Mm -hmm. With job ed? Yes, exactly. Awesome. Yeah. I did that uh, two or three times. Cool. That's also intense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was Have really you ever polar plunged with him? No. Oh, that's another one. You gotta try it. It's, it's great. <laughs> I did a little bit of that this time in Argentina. We were down south in uh, Patagonia. Mm -hmm. So some of us went in the water. Mm -hmm. That's a whole rebirth experience, oh my gosh. too. Right. Both of them, it's like... Uh, to go back to the battering ram thing, it kind of just blasts through all the all the stuff, the sweat lodges and the uh, the polar plunge and the medicine, all of it. You know, it seems like when we go through a really intense experience, regardless of what it is, it kind of opens that door. At least in my experience, it opens that door, so to speak. Whether it's sitting in a, a thousand degree sweat lodge for two hours, mm -hmm. or if it's spending two minutes in a freezing river, something. Part of me just gets shut off, and another part kind of wakes up and comes to life. Right, because when it's cold, actually the body shuts down in a way mm -hmm. to survive. Right. Mm -hmm. Right? My, yeah. yeah. It constricts all the blood flow to your limbs and to your fingers and all that stuff. And um, there's something with uh, um, yogic practices about that, too, like sitting on your legs the mm -hmm. right way and shutting off all the extremities so all you have left is the core to wake up all the chakras and stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very similar. So when we, when all of that stuff wakes up, then we get to have new realizations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But and I think, isn't that what this is about? Like, why do we do all of these things that we do? Um, 
but somehow to see the world differently, to see myself differently, mm-hmm. to see the parts of myself as separate, but not really, or maybe to detach from it a little bit. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A never-ending journey to find exactly what the meaning of life is. Sure. It's all, it's all wonderful and it's all beautiful and it's all kind of connected in one way, I think. At least in my experience, the, the yoga is attached to the breath work, which is attached to the polar plunge, which is attached to the sweat lodge and the medicine. And it all kind of just fits together in a beautiful way that I'll never truly completely understand. And I, I feel we want to experience different parts of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then, and that's also come up for me lately. When I, I've been able to experience all these different aspects of myself. Mm-hmm. And the other day, I was just walking, and I was like, I love the part of me that worked in corporate. I love the part of me that loves animals. I love the part of me. So if we can like get to that point where we can like love the part of ourselves, everything. All the parts. All the parts. The light and the dark. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I feel like the light and the dark can kind of be not not two sides of the separate of, of coin, but the, both on the same side of the same coin. You know, it just depends on how I use it. Do I want to use my, my type A go-getter personality to drive myself into the ground and work like crazy? Or do I want to use it to do something happy and productive? You know what I mean? And I think the answer is always somewhere in the middle. And isn't this what... Being, you know, being human, we have, isn't this what our intellect, our mind is for? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Figuring this stuff out, right? Figuring this stuff out. And it's not to be, we, the mind can also be used to beat ourselves up and to like oh, God, create yeah. hell <laughs> right. in our lives. But if we learn how to use the mind so it doesn't work against us, but it works for us, we can then decide, okay, today I'm going to like work really hard and get this project done. Mm-hmm. And tomorrow I'm going to do something else. Right. That's the beauty in the life that we get to. Uh... But in the end, it's all about love, right? Which is what the animals are. It's yeah. just like pure, unconditional love. It's about the heart. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And well. the joy we have within ourselves. And I feel that in the end, you know, like, there's expansion and contraction. Mm-hmm. And contraction is when we feel... We don't feel, you know, it's, ugh, right? Brings right. it tight. Like right now, this is expansion. We're having a great conversation, and there's like really cool animals <laughs> and cool people. Right. So you feel uplifted. Mm-hmm. So I feel that's in the life, you know, if we can do the things that bring us to that place of expansion, then maybe we'll be more joyful, and the heart will open, and we'll just walk around in a positive attitude. Right. More often, anyway. Yeah. Because the bad stuff's important, too. It is, because we learn the most. Oh, yeah. From the bad bad stuff, for sure. The obstacles, the challenges. I love the darkness. Right. And the shadow side. Yeah, you were talking about doing more shadow work recently. Yeah, that's what... I mean, this year has really been about that. Mm -hmm. About going into the darkness and the the shadow side. Because if we don't... I I remember seeing my shadow. I was going for a walk. And even when I was in Egypt, I was was standing at the Sphinx. And I'm like, oh, cool at my shadow and I start taking a picture well ha 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 spirit they played a trick on you Whoa, <laughs> deep into it yeah um, but when you go into the darkness then you get to experience all the parts of yourself mm-hmm. and Excellent. then when you come out 
it's just a story. Right. Awesome. Well, Pam, it's been so wonderful having you down here. It's been a, a great conversation, a wonderful show. Um, we'll have to, I feel like we could talk for much longer, but um, maybe that'll be in the future episodes. Yeah. So stay tuned, everybody. Thanks Part so two. Yeah. Part two. Yeah, thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, all of our international, intergalactic, interplanetary listeners out there. Uh, we love you guys, too, and we hope you've enjoyed this as well. Y'all are the best. You're the best. Thanks. Night. Bye. Bye. Bye.